This morning's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Rush hour traffic, don't you just love it? There is a stalled vehicle in the right lane causing a bit of congestion. You might want to avoid this route. Forecast cloudy and windy and cold. Oh, Thanks a lot. I need you to process these. All of them. By Friday. Thanks. No ketchup. Awesome. Thanks for nothing. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. Come on. Come on. Go, 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 go. Oh, thanks a lot. It's not like we need you to catch a pass or anything. I was just being sarcastic, honey. What's sarcastic? That's what Daddy's like when he's in a bad mood. So you're not really thankful? No, I... I am thankful. I'm thankful for a lot of things. Thankful for you, for one, and thankful for Mommy. God's been really good to us, taking care of us. Not so much of our football team, but he's taking really good care of us. Thank you, sweetie. For what? For reminding me. (laughs) I love that little clip at the end. For what? It just brings back a lot of memories. For what? And uh, I am thankful as well today. Thankful for the, for the privilege of uh, serving. Thankful for the privilege of being your pastor. And honored uh, for you, who you are as uh, the people of this church. And for your prayers and your vision and your heart. Grateful for your hearts. Thanks a lot. Well, this morning, uh, we're, uh, <clears throat> we're beginning a new series of messages called Taking Back 
my life, taking back my life. So I googled the phrase, curious as to how this phrase might have been used through the years, and I discovered that there is a movie uh, called Taking Back My Life, dates back to 1992, true story about a young woman who had been assaulted and uh, took a stand that went to the courts that rape is never the victim's fault. And so it was filed as a means of helping victims speak out against assaults that have happened to them. And it's uh, called the, the Nancy Ziegenmeyer story. I, I haven't watched it, but uh, uh, so I'm not sure about the content, but it sounds very interesting. Taking back my life. But there are a host of uh, stories and a whole lot of perspectives as people use this phrase, uh, taking back my life. It's really just a way of saying, uh, I'm fighting something in my life. I'm going to get it back. Uh, relationship pain, um, maybe health issues, maybe uh, recovery from an accident where it was said that you'll never walk again. But taking back my life, we have a dear friend who comes here occasionally who was involved in a car accident some years ago, and she was badly injured, so much so that she had to learn uh, to, to walk all over again. But, oh, she was so determined. And uh, she went through this deep emotional trauma, reclaiming her life, but she said with great resolve, I'm taking back my life. And she did. And as you see her walk, she might walk with a bit of a limp, but boy, she's taken back her life. And actually, she has become one of the arm wrestling champions of the province. So don't mess with her if you see her. She's, she's strong. I'm not allowing this to rob me of any more of my strength. I'm taking back my life. It's most often said with steely resolve. I'm taking back my life. I saw a picture of Nick uh, Berjusic uh, surfing and... Uh, I mean, I think it's the next slide. Just, just look at this. No arms, no legs. <laughs> and that guy is just willing to do, try anything. Taking back his life. He's a tremendous inspiration to the world and to the Christian community. In the last couple of weeks, uh, we've had some discussion around our family about experimenting with no sugar for the month of September. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> no sugar for a month. <clears throat> At first, some of us were in, and some of us were considering, and some of us were saying, that's impossible. Some of us were saying, that's ridiculous. And some were saying, well, let's define sugar. And uh, <laughs> some were beginning to say, well, define it as you want to define it. We're not legalistic here. And uh, it was suggested maybe we just do the best we can. So some were waiting for a couple more weeks before deciding, and uh, some, were <laughs> some were looking to enter the contest on September 28th and just see the month through, just kind of hop on at the last moment. <clears throat> so taking back my life was modified to taking back a piece of my life, uh, or considering taking back my life, or some even might say just hoping to take back my life. But now our awesome elders had a meeting on Wednesday night, and uh, they broke into the after eight mints. There, there are a whole bunch of boxes of after eight mints 
stash somewhere in this church. Uh, not telling you where. Uh, and they didn't know what they were doing, but they passed those mints around in the elders' meeting, and it was just about putting me over the edge. And I was kind of like the guy in the video, thanks a lot, elders, thanks a lot. Uh, but I love those dear elders, anyway. But there's some areas of our lives that we may want to seriously consider taking back as we progress through the series. I, I don't know what your experience is, but... Uh, I seem to talk to a lot of people who are about at their wit's end with uh, what's happening in their lives. And they kind of say, I'm done, 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 I'm done. I just can't keep this up. I don't know why, just am, I'm, am I ever busy? And just something's going to break if this continues. Or I hear most often, I'm just dragging. I'm exhausted. I, I don't have time to add one extra thing in my life. And when something comes in unexpected, I'm over the top with it. And you get this sense of deep frustration and anger that is just close to the surface. So let's uh, zero in a little bit this morning, get a little more focus, and take ground back some ground in an area that's called worry. Worry. That's right. Worry. Anxiety. The, the word worry is mentioned a whole lot of times in the scripture. I didn't check how many times, but it'd be a lot. And it's mentioned a whole lot of times in our day-to-day -day living. Uh, we are filled with worries. What would you say is the situation you're most worried about these days? Most anxious about? And I don't mean the little things of life. <clears throat> I just painted the wall and somebody came along and, and just rubbed, rubbed something up against it and scratched it again. And <laughs> now it needs another paint job, as people say, well, that's a first world problem. That's very minor. No, the big stuff, the stuff that steals your sleep, the things you resent and you can't seem to get rid of, the key thing that just keeps your heart churning and churning and churning, and every conversation comes back to it. It never leaves your mind. It never leaves your heart. It's just like, there it is again. Now, in a congregation this size, uh, we could make a long, long list of our, of our worries. Wouldn't it be interesting to see our worries? Or maybe wouldn't it be discouraging to see our worries? We could go back in time. I mean, just go back 20 years. And you would see what some of our anxieties were all about. In the 1990s, there were, here are the top 10 anxieties. Here's the official list of what we were worried about in the 90s. We were worried about AIDS. We were worried about drug abuse nuclear waste, the ozone layer, famine, homelessness, air pollution, the federal deficit, water pollution, garbage. Isn't that interesting what we were worried about back there? More on the national level, a larger level, um, than some of our own personal stuff. But I just think, even looking at those ten, I rather doubt that, that uh, many of us are worrying about all of those ten items anymore, because some of them are just like there are greater worries than those right now. The top ten today, and, and I don't have any, any official list, I just wrote some down. I think it would be ISIS. I think it would be terrorism. I think it would be the economy, and I think it would be the oil situation. I think it would be racism again. I think it would be fentanyl. I think it would be the refugee crisis, and on and on. 
See, the worries change through the years, and they're different for all of us. So no matter what list you've got in your back pocket, all the list, every list we have in our back pocket, they all have the same impact. They all have the same effects. See, our worry, our, our worry list steals the joy from our lives. They make life an unhappy treadmill. What, another 20 years like this? Oh, my goodness. Another 40 years going through this? Oh, no. So worry takes the smile from our face, adds another wrinkle right above the eyes, another wrinkle right there, and the furrow gets a little bit deeper. And you know what worry does? It blinds the future. What's the use of going on? And all the good things that God has given to us over the years, all the promises, all the adventure of walking with Him and, and, and knowing that He has great things in store for us, suddenly oh, there's a shift. It, it gets out of focus on us. And I can't even think about that, that now. I can't even think of the dreams that God is putting in my heart because I'm just, I'm just worried. I'm too worried about it right now. Worry and anxiety. In the slightest form, we churn. We churn a little bit. In the most severe form, we panic. I mean, we have even termed the phrase uh, to describe the extreme anxiety. We call it a panic attack. A panic attack. Sometimes it's so severe in people that we literally pass out. Literally pass out. It's a panic attack. There was a time in my life 20 years ago when I pressed on the accelerator too hard, I went too hard. It was one of those times in ministry when, when I guess too many new things were coming all at once. I was pastoring, I was doing doctoral studies, I was finishing a building project. I was adjusting to life in a new, build, in a new ministry context, in a new building. And now I joined a board of trustees in an organization in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I remember traveling to uh, uh, to uh, my first board meetings, and, and I knew I was exhausted. I was overwhelmed. I was up to my neck and stuff, and I, I began to not feel very well. And I began to experience panic attacks. I'd never experienced that before. And I sat in a meeting, and I dreaded having to say my name, of all things. I dreaded having to say where I was from. And uh, I walked out of that meeting... And I walked back to the hotel, and I said, what is happening to me? What in the world is going on in my body? Why do I want to run a million miles away? And I said, I have to look at this. And it took some weeks and some months and some hard plowing before I figured it out, that I had spent all my margin. I had used all my margin up. And I had used all my energy, and I was operating on empty. I was operating on fumes, and unless I corrected this, I was headed for a crash. And I realized that I, as I grew up, uh, that I grew up with a work ethic that said, uh, part, of your, part of your worth is in your work. I saw it modeled in my parents, and uh, the last thing I would ever want anyone to say is, he's lazy. He might be a lot of other things, but he's not lazy. That was my upbringing. Sure, you can, you can add one more thing to your life. 
You can put one more thing on your plate. You can say yes. Of course you can. You can just say yes. So I'm glad God caught me at that moment in my journey and he protected me. And although I still have a lot to learn in this area, I'm more aware than ever before that there are limits. And it's okay to say no and margin is critical in your life. Now I want to remind you of a story. It's a story you know well. It's a story that Joe, Joe Horn read this morning. A story about an individual who was worried and anxious and having a panic attack. And Jesus spoke to her and her name is Martha. So here, here it starts. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Now, this is a familiar passage to many. <laughs> we've been a little hard on Martha through the years, I know. And we've given all the accolades to, to Mary. So sorry if your name is Martha. Uh, she is really a great help to all of us. She really is. What if her name was Martha Stewart? We might be a little more pro-Martha. And she kind of was like a Martha Stewart. In a little suburb just outside of Jerusalem, about two miles, is a place called Bethany. It still exists. Some of you probably have been there. There in a house, uh, there's a house there owned by three single siblings. And Jesus came to visit in that house. The home was owned by Martha and Mary and younger brother Lazarus. It appears like Jesus loved to come there. It's, it's a safe place. Uh, and it's interesting. It seems like that he could be himself there. He would often come there. He would rest there. And it was a place where he didn't have to be on top of his game. They loved to have Jesus drop by, and it was a place where Jesus was accepted. I mean, isn't it cool when you stop to think of it, that Jesus had a place. He had a place to retreat to. Did you ever stop to really think about that, 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 that Jesus found a safe place, uh, and that even he needed a place where he could relax? And at the end of a pressure week or month, uh, he could go and he could hang out with somebody who was safe and somebody who really gets it and understands uh, what you're going through. How awesome is that? And maybe they would sit down and maybe the first thing they would say is, well, how's the battle going today with those Pharisees? Uh, who's giving you a hard time this week? And Jesus said, just talk. So they got him. They, they understood him. They loved him. They accepted him. I wonder... I wonder if Jesus would uh, choose to hang out in our home, feel safe. I wonder if he would just feel very much at home in, at your place. It's a safe place. And he could just kind of put his feet up and, uh, and relax and trust you as his dear friends. Well, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to uh, what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Perhaps the visit by Jesus caught them off guard. And you can appreciate that if Jesus and his 12 men suddenly appear on the doorstep. I mean, Mary is thinking, oh my, what are we going to serve? And uh, Mar Mary is thinking, oh, awesome, we, we got to get, we get a chance to talk to somebody. Martha's worried about the preparation part. I mean, but Mary is saying, I wonder, uh, I mean, how do you ever get a chance like this when the Savior drops by? And maybe, maybe, this is the, maybe this is the last time before the cross. Maybe this is the last time we'll see him. Uh, because she can read the tenseness of the times in which they're living. 
And Mary was just so relaxed to be with him. Meanwhile, in the kitchen, uh, the smoke is rising, not from the stove, but between her ears, Martha is, is fuming. She can't hold back. So she came to Jesus, the scripture says. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now, she's been biting her tongue, and she can't hold it any longer. Mary, Martha bursts into the living room and begins to unload. Oh, no, no eye contact with Mary at all. She's going right to Jesus. And maybe she has a wooden spoon in hand. It's like, Lord, it's unfair. Doesn't it seem unfair to you? What makes Mary think she can just delegate the work to me? What do I have written all over my forehead, a big Mary slave? That's not fair. Tell her to come and help me. You tell that lazy sister of mine to get her butt in here before I do something with this spoon. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. We're all built differently. Have you noticed that? And we all respond to stuff differently. Did you ever read the role descriptions by Gary Smalley where he talks about the lion and the otter and the beaver and the golden retriever? And while we all have some of those qualities in all of us, we usually are dominant in one area or another. You know, the lions, they take charge. And the otters are networkers, they're social people. And the beavers are very analytical and they're very detailed. And then the retrievers, they're loyal, and they're listeners, and they're nurturers. Uh, quite, a com quite a difference in the range of, of how, how we're made. And Martha is probably somewhere between a lion and a beaver. And Mary is probably somewhere between a retriever and an otter. So do you see why this little tussle is going on? They're just different. Nothing right or wrong about any of this. It's just the way we're made. And Martha is distracted because she sees the work that needs to be done if we're going to be hospitable to Jesus and his disciples. And that's her love language. Mary is engaged relationally because what an opportunity to meet with Jesus and to honor him and to show him her love and to bless him. And that's her love language. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. I don't think this is a scolding. I don't think we should read it too harshly. Maybe it's like we say it to our kids. Maybe we actually hug them as we say, Liam, Liam, Andrea, Andrea. Maybe it's with a hug as we bring them into our arms. <sighs> Just take a few minutes. Take a chill pill here. Just slow down a little bit problem really isn't with your sister. You know, it's not really Mary. It's just that you're stressed. You're, you're just making this bigger than it needs to be. And it has you stressed. And your stress is impacting your attitude. And your stress is doing a number on you. 
And it's taking away your magnetism. It's taking away your joy. It's taking away your attractiveness as a person. And worry is winning the day. You are stressed over the details. How many of us can relate to that? Especially if we're beavers. Oh, we're stressed over the details. We're stressed over what's coming down. We're wondering if we got the time to do it. We're stressed about those things that are happening in our lives. And my attitude gets sour, and it impacts the people around me. Martha, Martha, actually, just one thing is necessary. Just one thing is necessary, and that, we sh that is that we share our hearts. A cup of soup is fine. We didn't come for a five-course dinner. We will love you just as much with some soup. In fact, we can all work on it later. Just, just come over here. For, just come over here for a little bit. Just one thing is necessary. He speaks volumes to us in just that one sentence. You've heard it before. And you've heard it many times. And you try to implement it in your lives. Just one thing. Just one thing is necessary. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Jesus says, Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. So he's pretty firm on that. It will not be taken. She got it. She got it. So Martha, put your big wooden spoon down. Take a deep breath. And without being defensive, just take a look at what is really important here. Actually, you can learn a lot from your sister. <laughs> really? Learn something from my sister? You can learn something from your brother, too. Really. Is the Lord talking to you today? Is he speaking to my heart? Put your spoon down, Ken. Do you want a way to deal with your drivenness and your hyperactivity? Lay down your schedule. Lay down the list that rises up to take greater importance than this one thing. I love that Jesus can come right to the heart of something and just say it in a few, in a few words. And we get it. And we're amazed at how it just impacts everything. It, it impacts our whole attitude, our journey with our family and our friends and our colleagues. He, he strikes a note that, that echoes down the chambers of time. In all of your activity, don't lose sight of relationship. Unrushed, unhurried, let's enjoy one another. Let's enjoy our relationship with our Savior. Let's enjoy our relationship with our kids. Let's enjoy our relationship with our family. Now, if you can picture your life as a bucket, then you know that we operate best when our buckets are full. But we have to keep a close eye on those buckets because often they spring a leak. There are a lot of things that deplete our bucket. And worry is certainly one of them. The level goes down very quickly when worry comes in. What happens when the bucket is getting dangerously empty? Well, then it's time to stop and replenish the bucket, fill it back up again. It's time to take back your life. To fill your bucket, Jesus says, one thing is needful. One thing is needful. And there's so much awesome counsel in those, awesome, in those wonderful words. How do you deal with anger and resentment that builds up? 
How do you deal with exhaustion? How do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with worry? And if you listen to Jesus, he says, unplug, unplug. Unplug from the busyness for a while. Begin a conversation with the one who can calm your heart. Pull up a chair, pull up a chair, need a chair. Deal with the worries and come to the center of the road. Come to the center of the road again. How do you find your way when you feel overwhelmed and exhausted and worried? How do you get restored? Life-giving streams of water. Life-giving streams of water. Filling that bucket back up again. They come by pulling up a chair. They come by pulling up a chair. Connecting with Jesus. And experiencing his heart. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. That's Jesus. Pull up a chair. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. I'll, I'll, I'll fill your bucket again. I'll fill your bucket again. And the rest is so beautiful. It's so restoring. What happens when our soul is replenished? Our life is alive. We have joy. We have fun. We have fun again in life. We're at our best when we feel replenished. We pray our best prayers when our hearts are full. We sense the presence of God more fully when our buckets are full. We're more attuned to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. It seems like the voice of God becomes more clear than when we're exhausted. And our family, we love them more fully and more deeply and enjoy them. And we can love strangers. Oh, maybe even on Calvary Stampeders, we can love them a little bit. Walloped us two games in a row. Maybe love the Stampeders. We won't be resentful. <laughs> Not too much. We know that when our bucket is full and we live the life that God intended for us to live, we need to have that space in our lives where, where we fill the bucket to the top. When do we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus? When do we grow? When do we soar to the heights? Because God's showing us some new things and we're excited again. When do we find the open spaces to discover valuable insights about life and who I am as a child of God? It's when we pull up a chair. And how to live this life in a manner that is abundant and life-giving. Martha missed out hearing the stimulating words that fell from the master's lips. Oh, I, wonder, I wonder what Jesus talked to Mary about. I wonder what she talked to Mary about. Uh, you know, and of course the text doesn't say exactly. But, but considering the, the wider context in which Jesus was traveling and making his way to Jerusalem and the Passover, he may have been giving Mary a preview of his coming struggle and his passion. This might have been a critical meeting for Jesus. He may have been further in interp interpreting these events for her. How the cross and his death were part of God's plan for the world's salvation. And how the Father in heaven would bring all of this to a great ending in the resurrection on the third day. I wouldn't doubt he was telling her 
I wouldn't doubt he was interpreting that for that this was a safe place. What food? What bread? The master himself giving a personal interpretation about all of the ambiguous events that were about to happen. I mean, who would have wanted to miss out on that? Whenever we sit with the Lord, he brings us insight and understanding. Not only about his own suffering and struggle, but about ours as well. And when you and I feel nervous and agitated and worked up and wound up because of what's going on in our lives, we need an understanding partner with whom to sit down so we can sort things out, gain an understanding of our situation, and receive encouraging words from the person listening. It fills our buckets. It fills our buckets. Now, we have uh, awesome parents in our congregation. Uh, and you got to appreciate this story, and I understand from Friday night that there was a great turnout to our first youth night. And thank you, parents, just for being supportive and praying and, and blessing our, our kids. So the story is that a dad and his teenage children would call him on, at home on the telephone on Friday nights after the high school basketball games. It was usually about 10 o'clock at night, and the phone would ring, and, and, uh, and, and the kids were calling Dad. They wanted to know whether they could bring a few friends over for a little get-together. And when the parents asked, well, how many friends would be coming, they were usually told, oh, about 17. Instead of slamming down the phone, uh, the guy said, the father said he would always smile at his wife and <laughs> the two of them would hightail it over to the supermarket to get enough supplies to feed and water the two dozen teenagers who actually showed up. Now those kind of moments could be emptying and draining the tank and draining the bucket and, and so on if the bucket wasn't fairly full. And it could be distracting. You were distracted by many things. But no, their buckets were mostly full. And they saw this as an opportunity to care for their kids and the friends of their kids. And you know those kind of families. You know those kind of families, and so do I. And the relationship between them and their children is awesome as they grow up and they leave home. They never forget that kind of freedom and blessing and affirmation that they had in their home. There is a story, it appears to be anonymous. It's a story of a man's reflection. He wrote, At first I saw God as my judge, keeping track of what I'd done wrong. Now don't most of us get on that track sooner or later. That, that we see God as a judge, we see him as a policeman, he, we see him who's always out to get us. He said, but later on, when I met Christ, it seemed like life was like a bike ride a tandem bike. And Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know when it was that he suggested we change places. And life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It might have been boring, but at least it was predictable. When he took the lead, things changed. 
He knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on, even though it looked like madness. He said, pedal, pedal. I worried. I was anxious. I said, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer. And I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life, and I entered into his adventures. And when I said, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts. If needed, gifts of healing, gifts of acceptance, gifts of joy. And they gave me gifts to take on my journey. And we were off again, and he'd say, uh, give those gifts away now. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people I met, and I found that in giving I received, and still our burden was light. I didn't trust him at first with my life. I thought he would wreck it. But he knew all the bike secrets, how to turn, how to accelerate, how to coast. I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to, <clears throat> and I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze in my face and my delightful, constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I can't do any more, he just smiles and says, pedal, pedal. Let's stand together. I would invite you this morning as we bow our heads to, uh, if you've never made the transfer for Jesus to be in the driver's seat, that you make the transfer today and say, Lord, just be in charge of my life. If you made it a long time ago and you've kind of taken it back again and said, Lord, maybe I should take the wheel again, maybe it's a good time again to say, Lord, I, I give it back to you again. So let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, our rock and our redeemer, may you see us this morning bringing our chairs to be with you. Lord, we pull up a chair. See us pulling up a chair to your heart today. And may we allow you to flow new life new life water into our buckets. Lord, we need a new song in our hearts. We need to see you doing a new thing in our lives. And may your peace that is out of this world rest upon us today, rest on our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us clear thinking just to really examine how we're managing our lives. What are the things that are depleting us? Lord, put a circle around those areas. And then, Lord, fill our tanks again. Take the driver's seat, Lord. Take the driver's seat. Let us hear your voice clearly as we leave here today. Let us hear your voice clearly.
we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.